host, MK. I'm Andrew. And I'm Victoria. We're all back together now. It's been a couple weeks with Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving delay travel (laughs) related emergencies, but we do have a new episode that'll be up live on iTunes tomorrow morning. Um, You can just search Pod to the Left in the Apple Podcast app and find us there. Um, We also have that episode is live up on SoundCloud now. So, you know, we are SoundCloud famous now. We're SoundCloud. Check us out. Yes. All right. So we have a lot to talk about today. It's been kind of a busy week. Um, But I think first we should talk about the passing of former President uh, George H.W. Bush. Happened. Was it Friday or Saturday night? I think it was Saturday night, I think. Okay. Yeah, it happened this weekend. Um, He was... I was reading a thing about how he was um, the last, like, I guess they said, like, beloved by everyone president because he was, he's our last WASP president we have. He was elected by a majority, not a plurality, which is really rare nowadays. Um, And so he was beloved by a lot of people. He also was kind of the last of these presidents that still got along with, like, everyone around them. Mm -hmm. I was listening to... Um, it was This American Life the other day. They were talking about how Newt Gingrich and Rush Limbaugh changed politics. Um, it was really interesting that they were talking about how um, the big thing they did that was different was they started attacking people on the other side of the aisle. Mm-hmm. And before that, like when Reagan was president, like you had Till, who was um, like Speaker of the House Till, who was a Democrat who was like best friends with Reagan in their free time. So and George Bush was friends with Democrats and stuff like that. So he was one of the last presidents like that. Um, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on the passing of George Bush. Just the one thing that I took back from reading about his life and thinking of his legacy was just over and over again what we saw in the news was that he was just such a good person and one, one of the last popular presidents in terms of being a decent human being mm-hmm. because after after Bush H.W. Bush then we have Clinton who had his controversies George W. Bush mm. he was uh, a character we can <laughs> we can say and H.W. Bush his presidency while it did have just like any other presidency some conflicts he was a morally good man, mm-hmm. and that's not something that is thrown thrown around a lot now when we think about presidents. So his passing, to me, just marks just a time to reflect about what a good president looks like in terms of morality. Yeah. And it's really sad to see him go. I He has a huge family in politics. He was a lifelong politician Mm -hmm. working in Congress in the UN, the CIA, vice presidency and president. So he gave his life for this country. He served this this country in various capacities. So uh, it's been a real sad few days for for the nation. And um, I'm looking forward to see what... uh, his funeral and the eulogies that I'm sure George W. Bush will give, mm-hmm. uh, who will be speaking besides him. It's going to be a very somber moment, but at the same time, I think that he was a pivotal person in U.S. history, so he will be deeply missed. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys see the picture of his service dog by his casket? I did. Yeah, Sully. I, I haven't really read about that story yet but just the image is heartbreaking yeah. for any dog lover mm-hmm. just is truly yeah. truly bad i think another thing with the bush family that i mean i would say started with hw bush is they were i think that was like the closest thing there has been to like a conservative like kennedy family like they were oh they have a political dynasty mm-hmm. i feel like um so it'll be interesting to see if that carries on like the kennedys have for multi-generations or if it ends with George and Jeb. And Jeb? On the national level. Jeb really, I don't want to say failed, but failed in the primary in 2016. Yeah. There are 
um, parts of their Bush family in Texas right now. I think one just got elected to like land commissioner or something like that. Oh. So. so the Bush family is still still holds some sort of power. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. Whether it's national or state level or federal or state, we'll see that. One thing that I appreciated that I saw in the news uh, regarding H.W.'s death was that he invited President Trump Mm -hmm. and that President Trump will attend his funeral. I know that when Barbara Bush, George H.W.'s wife, the former first lady, when she passed away a few months ago, I believe, Mm -hmm. Donald Trump did not attend the funeral and... I didn't really know what to think of that. Just I, it, it was a little. Dis- it was obviously, I would say, disrespectful. But at the same time, I didn't know if there was any precedent in presidents attending first ladies' funerals, which would be an issue in itself. But I'm happy to see that him, Melania, and the rest of the living presidents will hopefully Jimmy Car- Carter mm-hmm. will also be able to attend. But that everyone's going to be coming together in every important political figure with former presidents. So I'm looking forward to that. Just a, That's going to be an interesting uh, photo shoot. Yeah, I don't think he was invited to Barbara Bush's funeral. I know. Oh, he wasn't? I don't think he was. I think I heard today that he was not invited to Barbara Bush's funeral. Hmm. Good to see that maybe he was invited to this one. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, when... The country was mourning the death of a former president. President Trump was in Argentina at the G20 summit, and there was a ton going on. Uh, I think the major highlights that people were looking forward to were a how the rest of the country, uh, the rest of the world leaders, were going to respond to Saudi Arabia. And its leader, the the prince, and how they were going to interact with him. Uh, and one thing that I was reading up on was the fact that the United States was the only G20 country that did not sign a climate change initiative and how we are just furthering and furthering ourselves away from... I guess, saving this planet. And I was just blown away that they were, they had to make certain amendments to statements that they were making to, to include the United States. And with the remarks on climate change, we just refused to sign some things regarding it. And I, that was just very deeply, deeply disappointing. I know that we already signed off. We already went away from the Paris Climate Accords. But just time after time, even with so much going on in the country itself, I mean, Thanksgiving Day was freezing unprecedentedly. Yeah. Well, and, how can you have global warming if Thanksgiving right, Day was so cold? Right, right. <laughs> I, I think know. this is what uh, Trump tweeted right here. I have it. Brutal and extended cold blast could shatter all records in all caps. Yes. Whatever happened to global warming? And... I'm taking a geology class right now, and the last couple lectures have been on climate change and global warming, and it's baffling to me that the president doesn't have someone in his administration that can, like, I'll send him my lecture slides that (laughs) my professor put on Canvas. I mean, it's ridiculous that we have an administration, and a huge sector of the country that just refuses to believe professionals, scientists. Yeah. You know, people whose job is to study the world, the climate, how we affect climate. And for some reason, no one's listening to them because we care about our own pockets and we want to create everything and not care about the cost that uh, we put into the environment and I don't know just I, I don't it didn't surprise me that we didn't sign the uh the statement at G20 but it just further disappoints yeah. me yeah. a few things on that I was for one of my other classes I had to read the Trump administration's proposal for the Endangered Species Act um they want to like 
change up the rules for it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was written by Scott Pruitt and his people. And I was like putting direct quotes from it onto my Google Doc. And there were so many misspellings in it. <laughs> I was like, this is a government document <laughs> with this many misspellings in it. What Do you remember the types of misspellings? Um, I can't think of. I had to change them all in my slides because I was putting the quotes onto my slides and it was like I don't want to get points off for misspelling this that's so embarrassing some of it was like analysis they misspelled (laughs) that that was one of them they they don't have spell check yeah yeah, I was like I guess the government can't afford that but also going back to the G20 summit and climate change today in Poland in cold country of Poland there is a follow-up to the Paris climate accords and the U.S. is there But they're leading, um, there's two delegations from the U.S. The one that's with the Trump administration is leading a talk on fossil fuels today, um, which that talk wouldn't be there without the Trump administration because everyone else is moving to renewable energy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the other one is a coalition of state actors and um, like business owners from the U.S. who are there to ensure the rest of the countries that signed the Parrot Climate Accord um, that the U.S. is going to continue its support and that states and local um, economies are going to be trying to create, to like keep the U.S. within what Obama signed in the Paris Climate Accord. So it is nice to see some people are adding some things to it. Um, And that is going on today and the u.s is a part of it so maybe they'll be able to convince trump's people to move away from fossil fuels and towards wind and solar there's hope a little bit i remember when the united states originally pulled out of the paris climate accords the mayor of pittsburgh uh, i forget the exact details but president trump used the city of pittsburgh in an analogy towards uh getting out of the Paris Climate Accord, saying I think he's working for the people in Pittsburgh instead of Paris. That could be completely false, but (laughs) that was, to my recollection, the sort of verbatim that he used. And immediately the mayor of Pittsburgh held a press conference saying that he and he's going to hold the city accountable to the Paris Climate Accord standards. And I think that's something that the rest of the country is going to have to do. In small pockets like state government, city government, in larger corporations that deal with climate issues, they're going to have to hold themselves accountable for protecting this planet if the administration can't. So uh, that's going to be the future unless we get a president that is a lot more willing to protect the environment and to protect the planet that we love. Well, then, on the other hand, if we do get a president like that, if you look at what's happening in Paris right now in France, Mm. um, Prime Minister Eli Macron um, enacted a gas tax to try to make it cost a little bit more to get gas so people start moving towards other resources. And people are coming out from the countryside of Paris fighting this. There's been protests for, I think, three weeks now that have gotten, like, violent. They're climbing the... um, Arc de Triomphe in the middle of Paris and all this other stuff because people out in the country are like, well, we can't afford this and this isn't what we want. They're like, you're speaking for the liberal cities. Mm -hmm. And I could see that also happening in America. And I feel like we just need to show people that like, yes, it might cost more, but then we'll still have it earth to live on (laughs) if we do that. It's a small price to pay, really. Yeah. So that's just a lot happening right now with climate change. Yeah. Who knew that it was stuff. such a divisive issue, our planet? Yes. I, I mean, with, I think there's so many issues uh, around the country that you're able to be divisive on, but it's just so surprising that protecting the planet is something that people get really ramped up on. Mm-hmm. I... Um, when I took geology last year, the first day of class, my professor said, if you don't believe in climate change, you should probably leave. <laughs> and I was like, I love this. Well, you know, we can keep using stuff because Elon Musk is going to get us to Mars and we'll <laughs> be fine for them there. That's all this other stuff. We did go more in depth on the Trump administration's climate change report that was released on Black Friday in our episode that is up 
right on right now on Spotify and will be up tomorrow morning on iTunes. Mm-hmm. So you can hear even more about this fun topic there too. Yeah. I think in the future we should probably ask some I think what would be great for this show would be if we got professionals, maybe like our geology professors or people that we know that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum that maybe don't believe in climate change or are advocates for President Trump's policies towards the climate and global warming. So I think it would be really interesting. So if you are listening right now and you fall under some of those categories, we'd love to have you on the show. So in Wisconsin, the state Senate is stripping powers away from the incoming Democrats, specifically the governor and the attorney general. And this is causing a lot of controversy with just the state because Obviously, we just had midterm elections where specifically in Wisconsin, they lost some very touted seats in the governorship. Scott Walker, who was a very prominent Republican and in the attorney general seat. And now they are now the the state Congress within Wisconsin are proposing new laws and proposing new institutions to just make the powers of those seats a lot more limited. And it's causing a lot of controversy. I just wanted to hear what you guys were thinking so far about that. I don't understand how this is, like, legal. I don't understand either. That's not allowed. Yeah, it just seems like, one, it's pretty rare for, like, lame duck sessions to do this much. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't understand how they can, like, get away with this and I know like we all took a congress class together (laughs) last year and we talked about like how important it is to like kind of honor the minority party's rights Mm -hmm. because then because someday you're not going to be the majority party yeah and then once you're the minority party like what's going to stop them from doing that back to you and I just feel like if they do this one of two things is going to happen it could be successful and the democrats won't do anything about it uh the people of wisconsin could be enraged by it and vote out all the Republicans that are trying to do this. And I feel like someone has to sue the the governor right now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. One thing that I was looking into was the fact that Democrats have done this towards Republicans in the yeah. past, where in 2010, Democrats tried to sign some union contracts before Governor Walker took over. So I could... In terms of the situation in Wisconsin, if I was a Republican, I would just say, well, you Democrats tried to do this in 2010, even though, in my opinion, limiting the governor and attorney general's power and signing some union contracts are vastly different on proportions and on the scale are just completely different. And it reminds me also of Merrick Garland with... Merrick Garland and Kavanaugh, where we Democrats tried to hold back the Kavanaugh appointment, and they were, in my opinion, allowed to due to the fact that the Republicans, with no other reason than for political purposes, mm-hmm. tried to hold back Merrick Garland's Supreme Court nomination. Yeah, they said you can't nominate someone during a lame duck session first, and they're like, well, it's not a lame duck because the election hasn't happened they're like well you can't nominate during an election year no you have to wait till the new you can never you can never nominate someone under any circumstances (laughs) if they're against your party which is what's going on i mean merrick garland in election or was it a year and the year of an election and now the lame duck period trying to pass as much legislation to hurt the other party's chances of re-election in 2020 so yeah. it's it's a very screwed up way that politics works. Yeah, I think this is just perpetuating the vicious cycle of partisanship and like tit for tat, which is it's annoying to see our parties, you know, that they can't be united almost ever because yeah. they're just so loyal. 
to their parties. Yeah, I agree. Do you know com- what I'm trying to say? I, I agree completely. <laughs> I mean, there's no effort on really either side of the aisle to help out the country after the results of an election where Republicans right now are just trying so hard, I guess we could just say in Wisconsin, but also in Florida with like Marco Rubio's comments towards the senatorial race between Rick Scott and uh, Bill Nelson, I believe his name was. Uh, just There is absolutely no decorum, respect towards election results and trying to move the country forward on what the people want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that is becoming such a huge issue. And to be quite honest, I think President Trump perpetuates that. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he... The rhetoric he uses towards the other party or people that don't agree with him or people that don't look like him, it's just so divisive and it creates a mentality within political parties to accept just trying to do the absolute worst to them. And that's not what this country is about. I mean, what we learned in our Congress class, I mean, the majority of this country isn't far left or far right. They're pretty far in the middle. Yeah. And if I was, I mean, I'm not, if I were to be quite honest, in the middle, but if I was, this would really piss me off and I wouldn't be as motivated to participate in politics or learn about what's going on because at the end of the day, the parties in power are just going to do whatever they can to keep that power. Mm -hmm. And that's the most annoying part of it all. Yeah. It's definitely interesting, and I hope we don't see more of this coming up because I feel like it does discourage voters who aren't on either side, and I feel like it can just create a vicious cycle if the Republicans are doing this to get back at the Democrats for signing union contracts. Like, how do you escalate this even more? And I don't like seeing escalation at this level. But, yeah, that's fun stuff in Wisconsin. I think maybe they're happy for... Being the news, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Wisconsin isn't a controversial state a lot. No. So. I mean, I guess this is the Republicans' last bit to try to win some votes for 2020. Because yeah. it helped them win in 2016. I mean, without Wisconsin, 2016 would have been a lot closer of a race. And that was a state where, if I remember correctly, I don't think Hillary Clinton visited. And no. that... Uh, Republicans were really working hard in that state and it kind of blindsided the Democratic Party when Wisconsin went red. So the fact that it went blue in 2018 and I guess the more I think about it, the less I'm surprised that this sort of politics is going on just because of how important it is to retain power. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I just feel like this is going to hurt them. And then in the long run, I think it's going to hurt the Republicans because it just looks like a sleazy thing to do. No matter what side you're on, it looks kind of shady to like last minute try to strip powers from someone. And like you mentioned, Wisconsin is an important state. Yeah, It's not one people think about a lot. And I know, you know, one of the main industries in Wisconsin is farming and agriculture. And the tax reform bill has been really hurting farmers and They've been losing a lot of money on this. So I think that, you know, a lot of the farmers in Wisconsin might be upset with the Trump administration and it could I could see it going blue again in 2020. All signs point towards it. Yeah. yeah. If I'm going to be completely but honest. All signs also pointed to blue in 2016. So oh. we'll see. Mm-hmm. That's why <laughs> both parties got to work yeah. as hard as humanly possible to meet their objectives. And just to switch subjects right now. Uh, at the G20 sub G20 sub summit, where in Argentina, the United States, Canada, and Mexico agreed to the new NAFTA, which is the United States Mexico Canada Agreement. And just for people who don't know more about international politics, one thing that really fascinated me about the signing of this agreement was the fact that the Mexican president that signed it, that was his last few days in office. So talk about really pushing your own objective, like in Wisconsin. 
the Mexican president, Enrique Peña Nieto, he, in his last few days, cemented his legacy with signing the new NAFTA agreement. And, I mean, do you guys know anything? Uh, I, I need to look up more about what's going on with this new NAFTA agreement. Well, according to our president, it completely gets rid of NAFTA and is a whole new thing. Mm-hmm. But according to the context of it, it is NAFTA, basically 2.0. <laughs> um, it has very similar policies. It does require uh, more American-made parts and cars for them to become duty-free, which this is all a subject that I do not know a lot about when it comes to like economics and trade and all that. That's not my strong suit. No. But... So you need, like, more American-made parts for it to be duty-free. Um, I know that now it adds in stuff for e-commerce, which was not in the original NAFTA because it was created in the 90s. Um, interestingly, NAFTA was created by George H.W. Bush. Yeah. Um, he signed it. It went to Congress. Bill and then Clinton it was on Bill Clinton. It. Yeah, oh. Bill Clinton afterwards. signed it, yeah. But, well, H.W. Bush signed it first, and then it went back to Congress, and oh, then it went okay. there. So. He was like the original creator, yeah. and now it's interesting it's gone. Um, claimed to be gone, it's still NAFTA, just a rebranding, if you will. Um, I have a Trump tweet, and he said the terrible NAFTA will soon be gone. Yeah, that's what it's, it's not. But... It's NAFTA with a new brand. Um, it seemed to me so interesting that NAFTA became really unpopular with Republicans because it was created by a Republican Congress, and while it was signed by Bill Clinton, he was. I would say, pretty fiscally conservative during his presidency because that's how he had to work since Mm -hmm. he had a Republican Congress with him. Um, And this agreement was originally written by a Republican president. So interesting that it became so unpopular and that the new NAFTA is, despite them saying it's completely different and NAFTA is gone, it's NAFTA. One thing that I've been learning a lot in my classes. I study Latin American studies as one of my minors, and a lot of the discussions that we have is NAFTA's effect in Latin America specifically. And one of the overarching themes of NAFTA is the exploitation of indigenous people, of Latin Americans in lower socioeconomic standards and it just breaks my heart just to see that how just to see how it's all thrown under the rug because it's just classic neoliberalism and just total capitalistic exploitation of minorities of people that really can't advocate for themselves and that's never really discussed and with NAFTA in the debates. I know that both the Canadian president, uh, Trudeau, mm-hmm. that's his name, he had some issues with NAFTA, but they were towards tariffs. The Mexican president, Enrique Peña Nieto, who is, for those who don't know, maybe one of the most corrupt, worst presidents in Mexico history, so he wasn't really discussing that. He was just trying to cement his legacy for the rich and empowered Mexicans in the upper class. So I think within Latin America, NAFTA is just emboldening that richer hierarchy. And it's not really something that is going to help people at the very end. So. When I saw that it was the new NAFTA and that Mexico agreed to it, I was very disappointed as a Mexican-American. Do you feel like the new president is going to do anything about it now, or do you think he'll continue with the agreement? I'm not sure. Uh, From the new president in Mexico, he was just—he was elected this past summer, and he just came into office starting December 1st, and— his platform is based on ending corruption and fighting for the poor in the country. And based on that, I would think that one of the first things that he'd want to do would be maybe pulling out of NAFTA, where it exploits so many of 
the people in Mexico and particularly indigenous people, particularly the the working class that was a large portion of his electorate, the people that got him to the presidency were the poor, were the indigenous, were the working class. So I think he should. I don't know if he will just because of the way politics works. But Mexico for a long time has been riddled with corruption and secrecy The in, I, I don't remember what year it was, but 43 people died. They were school teachers going to uh, the university. They died in a bus and it was an absolute tragedy and the government held all the facts and they did not share it with the public. It was very secret, very corrupt. The government had a hand in it, and the president at the time, Enrique Peña Nieto, he did nothing about it. And in the first day of uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador's presidency, he has a very long name, by the way, (laughs) he opened up a truth commission to actually find out what occurred to those 43 people that passed away. So I think he... I think over time he'll probably be a very tough, I don't want to say enemy, but detractor of Trump's policies. But he is very highly populistic. So now there's, I would say, two populistic presidents in North America, which is very interesting. When, you know, President Trump doesn't have the best relationship with former presidents of Mexico and just Mexico in general, um, I remember when he started talking about how he was going to build the wall and Mexico was going to pay for it. Their former uh, former president, Vicente Fox, was just like, no. <laughs> it's like, this Using many happen. expletives. Yeah, that I can't say on public radio, but he was just basically like, this is never going to happen. And so I feel like from that point, like it's just been a really big struggle between the two. And it is interesting to have another populist leader right yeah. here to see one of the. One of the most insulting aspects of the NAFTA agreement and the former president now, Peña Nieto's hand in it, was that he awarded Jared Kushner uh, security. He works at the White House, obviously. He's the son-in-law to the president. The former president of Mexico awarded Kushner with the highest honor for a foreign because of his construction of NAFTA and bridging relationships between both countries and that just is the worst PR move that you can make as the Mexican government towards an administration that calls its calls Mexicans rapists criminals and just fear mongers the crap out of the country that I called home for a long time so I think it's just such politics BS that he got that award and it's crazy to me that the government did did so I don't know it really bothered me I can see that I feel like I just feel like Jared Krishner is a joke (laughs) he is and I don't get like how he's the one who's in charge of doing agreements like that and how he gets honored by so many different foreign governments I know He's really close with um, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, who has been, who was either indicted or there's a move to indict him on bribery and corruption charges in Israel right now. Like, these are the people our government is, like, lining up with. I feel like it's interesting. There's, it is. It's corruption yes. works with corruption. Yes. Yeah. There we go. That's yeah, what at that, the, that's we saw that at the G. 20 summit um i don't know if you guys saw this there was a the handshake between putin and mbs yeah um they had a very like welcoming handshake meanwhile the rest of the g20 summit kind of pushed mbs to the side when it came to their like group photo they called it like the family photo he wasn't included in it um but putin and him were they were buddies the most awesome moment of the g20 was when the cameras caught Macron talking to MBS and he was saying, I'm worried, I told you, blah, 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 this and that. And 
granted, I'm pretty sure he said some of the things he said because he knew a camera was on him. Yeah. But just to see a foreign leader take MBS head on about the issue and not hide away with any pleasantries the way Trump and Melania supposedly were had pleasantries with him, yeah. whatever that means, you know, I I was very happy to see a Democratic foreign leader who right now him and Merkel are probably the faces of democracy in this in the world. And yeah, to see yeah. them go after MBS after what happened with Kashugi, I thought that was an awesome, awesome moment and something that should be remembered from the G20 summit. Yeah. And you can hear all of our coverage on the MBS drama um, on our podcast that's coming out tomorrow morning. We did cover that <laughs> in our last episode that we recorded. So if you want more in-depth on why the world is not with him. You can tune in there. We're going to take another quick little break, and we'll be back with some more exciting conversation. Um, we have Michael Cohen charged again. Um, he pled guilty this time. It was kind of a surprising move. No one was really expecting that. It no. was not something that was leaked out to the media until that very morning where he pled guilty to a single count of making a false statement to Congress, specifically about the project of Trump Tower in Moscow. So if there's anything that Robert Mueller wants to investigate, it's definitely about Trump's business ties to Russia. So the fact that Michael Cohen is admitting he lied to the special counsel on top of a few weeks, maybe two weeks ago, Corsi, I think his last mm-hmm. name was, he's getting indicted for making false statements to the special counsel. And there's just a lot. I think Paul Manafort made false statements to the special counsel. I think everyone is lying to Robert Mueller. Well, Michael Flynn did. He at did first. as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then he was indicted. Yeah. A lot. No one is, and then people wonder why it's taking Robert Mueller so long to yeah. come with this investigation findings. It's because everyone's lying to him. Yeah. But it's been causing President Trump, I think, a lot of headaches. He keeps tweeting and tweeting <laughs> and tweeting about Michael Cohen, about how he should get the full sentence of his crimes that have nothing to do with President Trump himself, apparently. But he's calling him names and whatnot. And I just think to myself, why are you calling him names now when he was your top lawyer for so long? And you confided in him in so many issues like Stormy Daniels. But now he's sleazy and now he's a criminal. Uh, It's... It, it's, it's aggravating, to say the least. Yeah. I I was reading a thing about why the... So the guilty plea isn't going to add any more jail time to sentencing or anything like that. So they're like, why go through this process? And basically, there's a lot of rumors that the Mueller investigation is wrapping up. Um, and so once the investigation wraps up, special counsel will give their findings to the attorney general who then will decide whether or not to give the findings to Congress or to hold on to them. The only problem is Jeff Sessions just stepped down, who had recused himself, and now the new attorney general is has been a very verbal opponent of the special counsel investigation. Um, and so the issue is, if they're really done now and they give it to acting attorney general, what's his name, Matthew Whitholder? Whitaker? Something like oh, that. Whitaker? Whitaker, yeah, Matthew yeah. Whitaker. He then they'll he probably won't give it to Congress the findings. Yeah. So by indicting a Michael Cohen on this or Michael Cohen pleading guilty, now when the trial comes out, they can use the special investigations findings, which then can so that'll all become public already. Oh. Like everything they have on this will become public knowledge and so people in Congress can find that on their own. Oh. So it's like a loophole kind of thing. Yeah. Which, Geniuses at that <laughs> yes. special counsel. Yeah, so you just gotta find everyone caught up in all these lies because it's not gonna add on jail time. 
now they have a way to publish their findings. He's probably able to charge so many people in that office, but just political chess waiting for the right moment. And if something happens, then he needs to retaliate for the best of the investigation. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I started thinking about when we were talking about this was, you know how people will say, well, the Trump, the special counsel's investigation hasn't found anything. It's not a success. He's a, it's a total failure. No, it's not. It, there's been how many people charged with crimes because of it that were close ties to the president, his former campaign managers, his advise, top, some top advisors, and people are saying that, well, if they don't get Trump, it's a failure. No, I would say it's already a huge, quote-unquote, success because it's done its duty in finding what's guilty so far. And when people say that it's been taking so long for the investigation to conclude and it has to hurry up, that's not their problem. It's only, I think I read only 20, I mean, there's only a select few of, amount of lawyers, which are the top lawyers in the country working on this investigation. And when people are lying to them left and right, it's I can't imagine how hard it is to do their job. I, I just think we need to allow Robert Mueller to do his job, to protect him at all costs, to do his, which I think is a very independent, nonpartisan job. He was a Republican. He served under George W. Bush. So it's not like he has this evil vendetta against Republicans. So I just think we should let him do his job and see what he finds. Um, The special counsel has charged 36 people. Mm. 37 if you include Sam Patton, um, because Mueller initially investigated him but handed him over to the Justice Department. So yeah, there's been 36 people. Um, the first one was George Papadopoulos, um, then Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, Michael Flynn. Then there were 13 Russian nationals and three nus- Russian companies. Richard Pinedo? Pinedo? I don't know his name. Alex Van Vanderswan? I can't read this next name because <laughs> it's in Russian. 12 Russian GRU officers, and then Michael Cohen. Wow. So, But the investigation is flawed and partisan. Mm-hmm. And it's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. But they've charged 36 people yeah. with crimes. Absolutely ridiculous. It's for, I think it should be, it's so hard to defend Trump on those allegations because when you look at it holistically, in retrospect, yeah. it's done wonders to American democracy. Mm-hmm. Absolute wonders. Imagine it if Michael Flynn was a national security advisor right now and he was flawed and he had those ties with Russia. I mean, I can't imagine what would be going on with just our relations with Russia or just how Russia would our how much Russia would be intervening in our governments. I mean, maybe I sound like a loony here, <laughs> but I I just think that it's been a blessing for democracy what Robert Mueller's been doing. Yeah, it's it's good. Hopefully he'll be able to use that loophole to get the information out there. We hopefully don't... he doesn't need it. Hopefully he doesn't need yeah. it, that too. But if he does, he created the little loophole, so it'll work out. Um, on a slightly different subject that's probably equally depressing, maybe more, um, there was another Me Too incident um, this weekend, um, Neil deGrasse, DeGrasse Tyson, the famous physicist that we see on Jimmy Fallon and John Oliver and just all over pop culture, um, there was an article that came out over the weekend where three women accused, accused him of sexual misconduct. And, you know, it's all he said, she said right now. There isn't mm-hmm. too much to rely on. But I was reading about the different inc- incidents. Um, the first one one of his colleagues had just gotten a tattoo of the solar system and she said while she was showing it to him he forcibly grabbed her arm and put it 
under her dress. And she said, while this wasn't like an assault, it was really creepy. And he, his defense was, he said he was simply searching for the tattoo under a covered part of her shoulder on the sleeveless dress, which, you know, in my experience, when people show me a new tattoo they got, it doesn't involve touching. It's more of like a looking thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of creepy behavior. And then the other one was he had an assistant who um, quit because she said he kept trying to like make sexual advances on her and she just felt like really uncomfortable working with him. And he said the only um, thing, the only physical interaction was a handshake he learned from a native elder that he considered special. He said you extend your thumb forward during the handshake to feel the other person's vital spirit energy, the pulse, which that also comes off kind of creepy. So whether or not these were, you know, intentional incidents or if he just can't see it, I feel like men in power should just stop touching women when they don't want to be touched. Yeah. I know like if someone started rubbing my hand with their thumb during a handshake, I'd be kind of weirded out. And if it was a pattern of behavior like that, I probably wouldn't want to work there. Like just coming from me. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that as well. Well, I want to say, first of all, good for these women for coming forward with their story, because as we saw with Brett Kavanaugh and Christine, um, Blazy Ford, she's still being harassed for everything that she went through, which is so upsetting because not only are you trying to deal with this trauma and you're doing it on a national level, but then you have death threats coming in from people who, I mean, I'm sure that they're receiving so many mean messages from people who are like defending him. And I know he's denied the accusations, but I mean, I think it's important to believe women yeah, and to always let them tell their story. I think one thing that MK said that was really important was the fact that even if he did or did not know what he was doing was sexual harassment that speaks volumes of the type of culture that men just have the privilege of living in where you know they can make these passes and just assume that it's okay and I think it is so important that men take part in changing the culture of sexual harassment, of sexual assault, and that from really the ground up, we start to recognize what true respect towards women means. I don't know. I've been taking a class where we've been talking about feminism quite a bit, and just the more that I study it, the more that it shocks me that it's another issue that is so divisive that women should be uh that there should be equality between genders and that there should be that the practices of now that are a product of like this patriarchal society are something that we should change and that there's so many people against it i just it shocks me that that's such a divisive issue but at the same time I recognize that I'm a man of privilege, but I think that also means that if I see something or I recognize something that's wrong, that if I don't speak up for it, then I feel like as a man, then I'm just letting it happen. And I mean, women didn't have the political voice of voting for so long. And then if we're going to go even farther, women of color. So it's not surprising that these issues are still arising because that voice is still new in some capacities. So I think for all the all the men that are listening right now, I think it's our uh, part of our responsibility is speaking up when we see something wrong. And that's part of the way that we're able to change the culture. So. Neil deGrasse Tyson knows not what's an appropriate handshake and to not touch someone's tattoo. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Speaking of feminism, let's talk about a happy note to end the show with. 
Ariana Grande's music video, Thank You, Next, came Iconic. out last weekend. Um, it featured, you know, scenes from Mean Girls with Ari and her crew, scenes from Legally Blonde, Blonde and 13 Going on 30. And Bring It On. And Bring It On. But specifically, the Legally Blonde one. Oh, like yeah. So Ari is sitting on, like, the green of Harvard, I think it's supposed to be, and she's reading her law textbook, and if you zoom in... It's actually an immigration and refugee law and policy book, which I think is just so cool that she's putting in kind of, East, not Easter eggs. I need a better word for that than, but you know what I mean. Intricate like details. Yeah, details yeah. of like what's going on in our country and is bringing attention to it, especially considering what's going on with immigration and the border. And I know Ari is an outspoken advocate for, for, democratic policies and is very liberal and you know pro lgbt community and everything like that so i think it's cool to see her showing all of her fans especially who are really young that it's important to care about politics yeah i just loved it it was such a fun music video yeah and... well she's perfect so yeah i i love the movie legally blonde <laughs> and yes. i thought it was pretty cool and just i think she's a great artist i remember she had this one debate on just argument on Twitter with Piers Morgan about the way that Ariana Grande uses her body in music videos or just as a performer and she had this really great line of like she's a woman and she's able to use her body whatever which way whether in a uh, whether in a she's able to use her sexuality she's able to use who she is in whatever way she wants, and that's her right. And then she posted a f- photo of Piers Morgan trying to be sexual with like his shirt off on Twitter. And he said, well, no one judged you for that, but should we? And I thought it was just the funniest thing. And I don't know. I think she is a very uh, – she's an artist that really promotes liberation, and I thought that was awesome. It was a great video. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for tuning in this week. Um, We appreciate it. We are on iTunes podcast. We are on SoundCloud, so you can go check us out. Pod to the left there. There's going to be an episode up tomorrow and then one probably up on Wednesday as well. So you can get double the pod to the left this (laughs) week. Luck out. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in today. To the left, to the left. To the left, to the left.